Hello, Blackhawks fans, and welcome into the Four Feathers Podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Nani. Joined tonight by Tony Marchese and Austin, better known as Blackhawks Dizo. Guys, it's time to crack them and get ready for some Blackhawks postseason hockey. Gentlemen, it has been far too long, almost two months to the date since we last recorded a Four Feathers episode, but hockey is back. We've seen some exhibition games take place. Um, sports are back in general. Nice to be back on the grid with you guys. Absolutely, Johnny. It, uh, it, two months, wow. Uh, that uh, I'd say the time flew by, Johnny, but uh, it didn't. It did not. <laughs> it absolutely did not. Um, it's great to be back on the mic. It's great to have a beer with you guys. Austin, I don't even know if you and I have been on a show together. Welcome to the show, man. How, how are you doing, man? I'm good. This is my second show, but the first one where we have hockey to talk about, so that's nice. Uh, just been watching hockey nonstop for the past three days, so can't ask for much more. Now we got actual meaningful hockey coming up, so I'm ready to talk. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Uh, it's exciting. Blackhawks are given new life by this 24-team uh, playoff format, Blackhawks being the last team in in the Western Conference. Uh, they got out to the bubble uh, in Edmonton, where all the Western Conference teams will be playing, and the Stanley Cup final will be played there. Uh, and they got their first taste of action. Uh, each team was uh, allowed one exhibition game, and they kind of made these uh, division rivalry matchups, so the Blackhawks were matched up against the Blues. And uh, they kicked the shit out of them last night, guys. 4-0 win. Um, so initial thoughts uh, from the exhibition game. Tony? Uh, initial thoughts are I was very surprised. And I know that exhibition games don't mean a whole lot in the grand scheme of things. This is really just a get-your-feet-wet type of game. But anytime you're playing the Blues, um, th- there's a little extra energy there. And especially with how good this Blues team is, to win four to nothing, it, it was one of the my favorite games I've watched this year. Just you know, kicking the shit out of the Blues is is always a good time. Um, but what really surprised me was how solid the defense played, and and for Corey Crawford to be out of action as long as he was, and uh, you know we we know now that uh, he had tested positive for COVID, and getting back out there doesn't let up a goal. Uh, he looks ready to go. Uh, and then the offense looks absolutely ready to go as well. So, um, like I said, exhibition game doesn't exactly translate over, but uh, it was just good to see. It, it was good good hockey to watch. Austin, initial thoughts? Yeah, I'll piggyback. Uh, Tony, there was a blast to watch. The, the one thing that I noticed is, like, Dominic Kubalik is just a sick hockey player, like, when he takes a one-timer and drops to a knee, it's like the coolest thing that a hockey player can do, and he makes it look so easy and effortless. So, like, that top line, if they can score as much as Kane and that line, I think it's things are looking up for the Blackhawks. I know we talked a little bit about it during the game, that the Blues, they probably weren't that interested. They don't have that much urgency. Uh, they're not really getting ready for a series just yet. They have round-robin games. So, who knows how into it they were. But I mean, the Blackhawks, they definitely have confidence after that. They know what they can do. So uh, it was it went as well as it could. It went as well as it could for the Blackhawks. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, guys. Um, I agree with points that both of you guys made there. And yes, uh, Austin, I'm with you that they probably weren't taking it as seriously as the Blackhawks were. But at the same time, uh, that was a full NHL lineup out there uh, getting ready to go. It wasn't just a regular uh, September preseason game like we would see uh, before normal season. So, um, you know, there was Bennington out there. You had Pareko, all all the big guns. uh, They were out there for the Blues. So uh, the personnel was there, maybe if the effort was not. So uh, just in the specifics of this game, uh, scoring-wise, Dominic Kubelik, a name that Austin had mentioned, he had two goals, one assist. Both those goals came on the power play. Dylan Strom had a nice tap-in goal in front of the net. Same with Brandon Saad. Jonathan Taves, two assists on the night. Kirby Dock, two assists. Patrick Kane, two assists as well. And the power play went two for four, as I'd mentioned, Kubelik scoring both those goals. So nice to see on offense, but 
for me, the biggest thing was the defensive improvements. Uh, they only allowed 21 shots, uh, whereas they averaged 35.1 a game against uh, in the regular season. So um, that, that was huge for me. Shot suppression was the biggest takeaway for me from that game. Uh, when you're talking about sound defense, Tony, uh, they only allowed uh, 15 scoring chances against it, five on five. Uh, um, and they had 19-4, so nice to see them have the advantage in that one. Um, they allowed six high-danger chances at five versus five, um, and they had nine for themselves. Um, so good in that department as well. And then the other one that is going to be a big question, and we'll get into this as soon as we get into Edmonton, uh, the penalty kill. They went four for four on the night. Uh, Kirby Dock saw his first penalty kill time, played a minute 44 out there. Um, and then, Austin, I'm going to hand this one over to you because it looks like we have a shutdown pair now. Oh, thank God. Thank God. It it started rocky with Calvin DeHaan taking two penalties, but you can't blame the guy for not skating. I mean, he hasn't played a game in seven months, so he's obviously going to be a step behind, and that's what happens when you're a step behind. You take penalties. Uh, I think once he got into the game, him and Connie, Connor Murphy, are they're the shutdown pair that this team has needed uh, for two years now, and I, I really think Connor Murphy has stepped up and taken on a bigger role this year with the team, and that just helps them so much. Uh, they ended up playing about 10 minutes, 30 seconds at five-on-five. Five. They only gave up two shots while they were on the ice together and gave up two high-danger chances, which if we're playing against a high, high-powered high offense like Edmonton and those two can play that well, I think we'll be in good shape. So, Yeah, definitely. I just want to get your take on there. Great to have Kelvin Hahn healthy um, back on the ice. I'm not going to divulge any uh, – personal messages but we did have contact with Calvin Hahn uh after the game last night and um just overall uh paraphrasing what he said uh he was satisfied with the effort all around uh with the team last night so that was good to see um in net we had talked about it uh briefly but uh Corey Crawford played uh the first half of the game uh 30-06 time on ice to be exact uh, he made 11 saves no goals against and he looked smooth uh, everything looked comfortable Austin as you had pointed out in the article that you wrote about the takeaways from that exhibition game Malcolm Subban came in, played the second half of the game, 29-04 time on ice. He made 10 saves, uh, no goals against. And um, I put in the notes here, he looked surprisingly stable. So um, uh, other, other thoughts uh, on, the, on the defensive side of things here, guys? You know, the, I, don't even, I don't even want to get into the defense stuff when we've got the defensive specialist. This guy knows everything <laughs> about the Blackhawks defense. So I'm going to turn it straight over to Austin with this. Oh boy. So we'll, we'll get into it a little bit more when we preview. I got, I got a lot of bad information about the Blackhawks that I got to cover, uh, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Another Why thing did I turn I, it over? I, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I have some points. Uh, the major thing, like question that I had going into this game is that Jeremy Colleton in, in his press conference before this exhibition game, he said he hopes that the Blackhawks look organized and structured. And I almost laughed out loud when he said that because that's not what they look like at all this season. But for the most part, they did look structured. And I think they they played his system well in their own zone. They were switching when they needed to. There was a lot of communication. The one thing about not having fans in the stands is you can hear the players sometimes and then the audio picks that up. And you could hear Duncan Keith yelling out, I got him, I got him, I got him. So you can tell that the guys are starting to figure it out. They're, they're talking, they're communicating, and they really kept the Blues to the outside. I mean, they gave up, what, the Blackhawks gave up 21 shots, and I don't remember, like, two or three really great scoring chances. So all in all, let's see if it transfers to actual meaningful hockey. But for the most part, there was some improvement. Hey, it's a step in the right direction. I was uh, texting with Tony uh, a little bit earlier, and I, I told him, I was at a game back in, I believe it was late October, or early November um, against the Leafs. And I think I remember Robin Leonard having to make friggin' 53 saves, yeah. something ridiculous like that. So um, yeah. it would have been, you know, bad. Like we said, it's exhibition. Obviously, the real deal starts Saturday, and we're just about to get into that. But it would have been even worse for our confidence, uh, the team's confidence, uh, if they had come out and laid an egg and looked bad and unstructured and unorganized. So um, good signs going forward. Um, if anything, like I'd said, the shot suppression is my biggest takeaway. And then building confidence, because that's the first time you're playing against anyone else. It's easy to go up against guys in scrimmage. They're going to let off because you don't want to injure your own teammates, obviously. Yep. 
So when you're finally getting in that competitive game, finally receiving some checks, giving some checks out, um, it makes a difference. So I, I was glad they shook the rust off and didn't look very rusty at all. Uh, St. Louis Blues looked rusty more than anything. But once again, that can also be attributed to their situation. They're playing round robin games off the bat, not a uh, best of five series um, to start like the Blackhawks and Oilers will be. So that being said, Blackhawks and Oilers, let's move right into it. That is what this episode is all about. Austin, you wrote an excellent article three weeks ago for ontapsportsnet.com. Uh, it, it was Blackhawks versus Oilers qualifying round preview. Who has the advantage uh, is what you wrote. And we're going to try and dissect a lot of those points that you made there um, on this episode tonight. So before we get into that, though, I did. This is the last section that I was cooking up. You know, you said you were ready about 15 minutes earlier than me, Austin. I told you I was getting one last thing ready together. Um since this, we haven't had postseason hockey in the existence of four feathers uh, since it's been around, let's go back and look at some history between these two teams. So fun facts on Edmonton and Blackhawks postseason hockey. Uh, this will be the fifth all-time postseason meeting between the two teams. Uh, they met in 1983 Campbell Conference Final. Oilers swept that one 4-0. 1985 Campbell Conference Final. The Oilers won 4-2. But fun fact about this one, uh, the tradition of cheering the anthem was born uh, before Game 3 of that series in 1985. Uh, the Blackhawks had gotten absolutely whipped two blowouts on the road at Edmonton. They came back to old Chicago stadium fans cheered all throughout the anthem and uh, Blackhawks ended up winning that game five to two. So uh, that tradition stuck. Obviously we still do it today. Uh, cheer the anthem at the United center, switch buildings, switch singers uh, still applies today. So a little fun fact there in the 1990 Campbell conference final Oilers won four to two. And in 1992, uh, the Blackhawks swept that 1-4-0 and then obviously went on uh, to lose in the Stanley Cup final that year. Uh, so overall, though, between Blackhawks and Oilers in the postseason, uh, Blackhawks are 8-12 and here. So um, just interesting fun facts there. Uh, the series, though, 2020, uh, the current day and age will get underway Saturday, August 1st, 2 p.m. Central Time on NBC, nationally televised game here. And I believe it'll be on Sportsnet up in Canada. So um the matchup, guys, uh, Edmonton has firepower. No doubt about that. Leon Dreisaitl probably going to win the hard trophy. Um, you got Connor McDavid, arguably the best player in the game. Uh, scary on paper, wouldn't you guys say? Uh, very scary on paper, and, and they're filled out with a lot of names. I mean, Kyler Yamamoto scares the living shit out of me sometimes. Nugent Hopkins is one of those guys that really hasn't, completely developed into what I thought he was going to be when he came into the league, but still has a ton of firepower. Uh, and then of course you've got Connor McDavid, arguably the best player in the game right now. They're, they just have so many offensive weapons. And it, you know, you talk about, we may have a shutdown pair that shutdown pair is going to have to cover two, three lines of uh, just absolute offensive talent that the Oilers are going to bring to the ice. It, it's going to be scary for the Hawks. And in, in my opinion, yeah, that's awesome. funny that you that you say the shutdown the shutdown pair line there because that's that's something that I wrote down too. You have Connor McDavid on one line, and then you have Leon Drysaddle on the second line. How how do you how do you defend that? Who who yeah. do you line up against them? And and for the most part, I don't think uh, like lineup matches are going to matter that much in the first game, at least for the Blackhawks. But you still try to do that. And do we want Jonathan Taves going head to head against McDavid? Do we want that fourth line of Camp, Carpenter, and who's the th Highmore going against them? I mean, what are they going to do? The thing that I worry the most about for the Blackhawks when it comes to lineups and, and how we match up with the Oilers is our second line. We have Dylan Strome, Patrick Kane, and Alex Nylander. I, you put them up against those top two lines, if they don't have the puck, they're going to get scored on. It's just a matter of time. I don't think – I mean, we, we hope Dylan Strome can one day turn into a really great two-way center if we keep him, but he's not there yet. So that line scares the crap out of me moving forward with those two top lines of them. And the, the second thing the Oilers have is just unreal speed. I mean, they picked up Andres Athanasiu, and he's their third-line left wing. The guy can fly. So that worries me a little bit. He doesn't necessarily produce offense with his speed which is a good sign, but he, he can get around our defense and, and make things happen. So we'll see how, how Jeremy Colleton's going to gonna plan this out. I don't, I don't know what he's going to do. I'm not envious of him right now. 
Yeah, when I look up and down the lineups here, guys, um, obviously the big names, uh, I had mentioned them, Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, everybody knows about them. Uh, they're on highlights all across the league all the time. Uh, you, you know their stats, you know their numbers, um, you, you see their style of play, and it's very fast, uh, as Austin had just mentioned. But I, I look, you know, a guy that Tony had mentioned, Kyler Yamamoto, um, maybe not the most outstanding uh, second-line right winger uh, in, in the game, but, man, does he seem to tear us up. Uh, I mm-hmm. can remember that game, Tony, that you and I were watching together back in November um, and it was just brutal. Actually, excuse me, that was in uh, on that brutal road trip uh, in the middle of the winter, um, and it was brutal. I think Yamamoto scored two goals and had an assist or two as well in one of those games. Yeah, uh, and he then, was all over like the you said, more more speed uh, in Athens to see you, like you had mentioned, Austin. Uh, and then even the looking down, your fourth line left winger, you got the real deal, James Neal. Um, he's been there. Uh, he, he's been around the block a few times. So even he, uh, if you fall asleep a little too much, he could pot one on you too. So um, the, the thing, though, that I, I look at too is uh, you really got to attack uh, the Oilers defenseman um, because, you know, Adam Larson, uh, everyone remembers that trade when Taylor Hall went out to uh, New Jersey. Uh, he he was the one coming back. He, he is their top pair, uh, right D man. Uh, Oscar Clefbaum on the left side, decent first pair. But after that, you know, Darnell Nurse, a big body, and Ethan Bear on the second pair. Um, but that third pair, Chris Russell, Matt Benning, uh, you really got to take advantage when those guys are on the ice. Uh, play the matchups well. Obviously, Edmonton will have the second change for games one and two. Um, but do what you can. Uh, do what you can uh, to really make them pay when those guys are on the ice. So um, that's just what I look at it. And, and like you had mentioned, the second line, big question. Looks like they have some great offensive chemistry for the Blackhawks. I'm talking now in Alex Nylander, Dylan Strom, Patrick Kane. We all know Patrick Kane's an elite scorer, uh, world-class player. But um, defensively, they got to play at both ends of the ice. And luckily against the Blues, uh, n- nothing costly. Uh, there was nothing costly all game uh, against the Blues, which is great. But um, that, that effort's going to have to be there. You really need Alexander Nylander to step his motor up uh, coming in here. And then uh, I think it'll be interesting to see how much uh, Dominic Kubelik gets flipped up from the third line up to the first. Um, I know there's a little bit of shuffling in the exhibition game because there were two extra bodies allowed to dress. Um, and those were Lucas Carlson on the back end and uh, Dylan Sakura up front. So they got spotty uh, shifts throughout the game, but uh, Dominic Kubelik, um, you know, some of that success coming with Jonathan Taves during the regular season. You wonder how often uh, he is up there with them and not to brink it um, on that wing. So um, be interesting to see uh, how Jeremy Collin chooses to play it as well. But um, guys, uh, let's get into what's going to make or break this thing. And Austin, one of the big points of your preview article was the importance of the Blackhawks keeping this thing at five on five. So please elaborate for us and the listeners. All right. I'm going to be a bit of a downer here, but, Sorry. So the Blackhawks defensively, worst team in the league by far. It's been talked about. We all know it. Uh, a couple stats. They give up five on five, the most shots. They give up the most scoring chances. They give up the most high danger chances, right? But for some reason, i.e. Corey Crawford, Robin Leonard, when we had him, we only gave up the 10 most goals at five on five. So a lot of that falls on, I think, both of our goalies playing well. I mean, Corey Crawford had an average year. If you look at his career numbers, Robin Leonard was pretty, pretty good. I'd say better than average. So they kind of bailed this out a lot. But when you look at the Oilers, even though they have Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, these young guys like Kamamoto, they're not really producing that much offense at five on five. Per 60 minutes, they're only produced 2.44 goals per 60 minutes compared to the Blackhawks, who scored 2.61 goals per 60. So the offense, they don't have a problem producing offense. They're up there in the league with shots and scoring chances. Their problem is on the back end. But luckily, the Oilers, after that first line, after that second line, they don't have a lot of depth scoring. Zach Cassian is their fourth highest scoring forward, Zach Cassian. So I think if we take care of those two guys, and and do the best we can on them and we i mean Corey crawford who who knows how he's going to look in a full 60 minute game but if he can play the way that he has in the past i i think it should be pretty even at five on five and even giving the slight edge to the blackhawks at five on five just because of their ability to produce offense so we'll see how long they can keep it five on five we saw calvin dahan take a couple early penalties 
my guy, David Camp, took a penalty. We're going to take penalties. That's going to happen, I understand. But as long as they can keep that game on five on five, their chances get better and better and better. I almost said they have a chance to win. I almost said that, but their chances get better. I won't say they'll win just yet. Yeah, discipline will be a big, uh, you know, big component of if the Blackhawks are going to have any success in the series. But attention, penalties are going to happen. It is going to happen. So getting into the special teams here, Edmonton has a top power play in the league. They convert at a 29.5% clip. They've scored 59 power play goals during the regular season. Um, and then when uh, they take a penalty, they're second best penalty kill unit, um, 84.4%, uh, you know, uh, times that they kill it off. And then on the flip side, the Blackhawks, uh, Fourth from the bottom is in terms of power play, only converting at 15.2%. Um, and then they have uh, 33 power play goals on the season. And they're tied for the eighth best penalty kill in the league, though, much improved from past years at 82.13%. So um, on special teams here, uh, what are we looking at, Austin? <laughs> Where do I begin? I mean, Oh, boy. 59 power play goals compared to the Blackhawks' 33. That's unreal. I mean, Edmonton has the best power play this year by far. They have the best power play in, like, the past 30 or 40 years, I heard today. So, I I mean, they're going to get their chances. They're going to score. It's going to be how the Blackhawks respond. The thing that I like the most, finally, 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 we have Kirby Doc on the power play. The guy has vision. He's a big body. He can go retrieve pucks in the corner. We don't have Andrew Shaw playing in front of the net. So I think Kirby Doc, he's getting stronger. He's getting faster. He's getting more confident. You saw in the exhibition game against the Blues, he set up Kubalik pretty easily for the most part on one of his goals. I think it was Kubalik's first goal from right in the slot. So they also added Kubalik right into the center of that power play. They call it the bumper. That guy can get off one-timers from any position. So you just get it near him, and he's going to have a scoring chance. So I, I think the, the 28th-ranked power play for the Blackhawks, it's so much better than that now. I, just, I think that just relied on – they were too stagnant. They weren't changing it up too often. They weren't trying new things. But I think once they put in Dominic Kubalik, they have Kirby Doc, who, who – oh, man, we're just so excited to see what he does. I think that power play is going to be more dynamic, and I think they're going to surprise some people and hopefully drag out the series a little bit longer than, than most people expect. Yeah, good point on Kirby Doc there. Another thing to remember about him, first of all, the kid is still 19 years old. Just remember that. And then second of all, he had been playing hockey for, what, they say like 18 straight months essentially. Um, so yeah, this is his yeah. first real break. Uh, because, you know, he had gone from a junior season um, into Blackhawks uh, prospect camp. Um, and then there was the Traverse City tournament. So they're there uh, doing that before training camp actually gets underway. And then he plays a full season. Obviously, no stints in, in the AHL um, for Kirby Doc. Uh, thrown right into the lineup. So that was his first extended break. Definitely looks a little bit rejuvenated. You could tell from both the scrimmages and that exhibition game last night. But, Tony, I want to get your thoughts uh, special teams-wise here. You know, I... I... I agree with everything that Austin said. I mean, the, the Edmonton power play is going to be a problem for the Blackhawks. Uh, there's not any arguing there. Both um, in the room. Yeah. I mean, if we're and, and Austin brought this up too, if, if we're playing on the penalty kill for a majority of this series, it's going to be over in three games real quick. Um, so you have to avoid that. Uh, but I do like the fact that uh, Kirby Doc and Kubelik are going to be on these special team units right here. And if anything, this is kind of just some really good experience for these young guys to be playing in a playoff series and get a taste of what this feels like. Um, I think that, you know, if we weren't in this situation right now, you're probably talking about a team that does not make the playoffs. And in fact, for certain, I mean, Johnny, you and I had had already like done the funeral procession for this team and uh, they, they were done. They were done. And this is this is a free chance to get a taste of what playoff hockey uh, feels like for for a lot of guys on this team, as well as Jeremy Colleton. How is he going to coach this series? I think is going to be something that I'm keeping an eye on more than anything else. Is he the right guy going forward? How does he manage these matchups um, throughout this series? Th- there's a lot of question marks. You don't have Joel Quinville behind the bench anymore uh, coaching a, a playoff uh, series. So you don't know what we're going to get here. Um, 
I'm interested to see what happens. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, it's when you when you're talking special teams here, everyone knows it. Like Ed said, I kind of butted in on Tony there, but the elephant in the room, yeah, it's the Edmonton Oilers power play. So um, it's you know, it's basically survived through that because they are going to net a few of those Weather goals. The storm. So it's it's going to happen. Yeah, we, we talk about it here on Four Feathers. We talk about it over on Socks on Tap. You, you weather the storm, um, get through it, and then make the most of your opportunities. And like I said, that goes back to then when you're back at five on five, exposing some of those lower lines and deep pairings for the Edmonton Oilers. So um, definitely going to be interesting to see. Let's move on to the goaltending here, the backstops. Um, here is, I would say, Austin, I think both of you guys would agree with me, a clear-cut advantage for the Blackhawks um, in this one because I have this question here. First question under this section, guys, is will Koskinen or Smith start for the Oilers? Uh, Koskinen was 18-13-3 this season, uh, 9-17 save percentage, 2.75 goals against. He has zero playoff experience in his career. Uh, Mike Smith, on the other hand, he was 19-12-6, 9.02 save percentage, uh, 2.95 goals against uh, during the 2019-20 regular season. He's got 24 career uh, playoff games under his belt. In those, he is 11-12 with a 9.38 save percentage and a 2.17 goals against. Guys, we saw Mike Smith um, when the Blackhawks played the Phoenix Coyotes, then Phoenix Coyotes, uh, in 2012. So um, I wonder, Austin, you have any insight as to who's going to get the nod in this one? I I honestly was surprised to see Kostman start for their uh, exhibition game against who was it, the Flames. I, I, I was shocked. The guy's 32 years old and has no playoff experience. He had a much better regular season than Smith, who I think is, I mean, he's, Smith is 38 years old. He's getting up there. He's been around the block a few times. You're talking about he was the Coyotes starting goaltender in 2012. So, I mean, he's been around the league. He's shuffled teams quite a bit the last few years. So, I think people were shocked that, that Koskinen played. You also have the connection between Dave Tippett and Mike Smith because Tippett was the coach of that Coyotes team. So, people were shocked when Koskinen came out. Uh, Koskinen in the exhibition game, he was perfect, I think, 17 saves on 17 shots, and then Smith came in the second half, gave up one goal. The the major difference that really sets them apart is is Mike Smith's ability to to play the puck. And every every team that plays against Mike Smith, they have to game plan around that. You can't just dump the puck in and wrap it around the dasher because he's going to stop it and he's going to make that first pass for his defenseman. We're not going to be able to hit their defenseman. We're not going to be able to get behind them. So I think. If they do go to Smith, that's something to look for. I don't know a lot about uh, Koskinen just because he's only been in the league for a couple years, even though he's 32. He has no playoff experience. The one thing I don't like about Koskinen is that he wears number 19, and I think that's a crime. I think that's a joke. It's a crime for goalies. (laughs) what, What are you doing? Someone on that team needs to go up to him and be like, bud, you think someone else might want number 19? Like, why are you taking 19? But whatever. I I don't know what bad they're going to do. Bad juju honest. for that. I, bad karma. Very yes. bad juju. Very bad. I mean, there's been great number 19s. You don't think of Koskinen as a great 19. But who knows who they're going to play, to be honest. You kind of said it right at the beginning. Who will they start? I, I think we're going to see both goalies at some point, but I don't know who we're going to see uh, game one. Tony. Thoughts on the goalie situation here? I think you see Smith just based off the playoff experience alone. Um, and, and Austin brought up his ability to play the puck. That can create some problems. Um, and I, I still go back to that 2012 series. I, I, that, that series haunts me. Um, and just with my outlook, if I'm going to go full negative Nani right now, for him to just shut us down would be another terrible memory of, of, of Smith in my mind. Yeah. Um, but God, that know, series just didn't mean to interrupt. That series is ridiculous. So it was yes. like every single game went to overtime. That was yes. nuts. Yes, it, it, it was nuts. And I, I still am mad at Rafi Torres. So I'm just... Uh. Well, yeah, that, that's a given uh, for any Blackhawks fan ever. Uh, that will be until the end of time as well. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think you see Smith. Um, I, I don't want to divulge predictions yet, but uh, I think we're getting close to that. we got to talk about the Hawks goalie situation, though, first. 
Yeah, yeah, we do. Uh, let's move on to that. Corey Crawford uh, back. Obviously, we had mentioned earlier that he did test positive for COVID-19. And obviously, uh, under this NHL return to play period, the only information that they'll give regarding injuries, illnesses is unfit to play. And Corey Crawford was unfit to participate in Blackhawks training camp up until the very last day before they left for Edmonton. Uh, obviously, tested positive for COVID. He came out and said that uh, himself. So, you know, it wasn't the team or, or the league divulging that information. Um, but he was back. Uh, and as we'd mentioned, played in that exhibition game, the first half of it uh, against the Blues. Uh, looked pretty calm, cool, collected. Uh, to Corey Crawford. Today, when he met with the media, he said, I should be ready to go Saturday unless something crazy happens. Um, they're in the bubble. I think they're all wrapped up nice and tight. Uh, I don't expect anything crazy to happen. Corey Crawford will be in the net, and you don't even really think about a backup at this time. I guess since Subban played, he would be the backup, but there's no way he sees ice in this uh, series unless Corey Crawford gets injured. Um, the other goaltenders for the Blackhawks on the roster are Colin Dahlia and Kevin Lankinen. Uh Both of those had their um, stints of, uh, you know, uh, accelerated play at Rockford this year. Lankinen started out hot, earned an AHL all-star spot. Dahlia came on strong at the end and was the number one guy for the Rockford Ice Hogs. Uh, Dahlia obviously being up with the Blackhawks two years ago um, when they had some injury issues with Corey Crawford then. Um, but I would expect if you had to go with a backup, it'd be Subban. But let's talk about the man who will be between the pipes, Corey Crawford. In 2019-20, he was 16-20-3, and 9-17 save percentage, 2.77 goals against average. Um, and then his playoff experience, we all know the, uh, the two cups. Uh, he has 87 career playoff games under his belt, 48-37 and 37 record, 9-19 save percentage, and a 2.28 goals against average. How are we feeling about Crow? heading into this five-game series, Austin. What a what a crazy two weeks it has been with Corey Crawford. I mean, just when, you're, when you think all is right in the world, the Blackhawks, they got second life, right, this free pass to play in the postseason, and then Corey Crawford is nowhere to be seen. Like, we didn't even get, like, a picture of Corey Crawford. It, he was just, like, MIA, and we were just left hanging, trying to make predictions of – a playoff series without our starting goalie who has to be great, not good. Corey Crawford has to be great for the Blackhawks to have any chance. So the past two weeks have taken years off my life. But moving on, just the effect that Corey Crawford has over the Blackhawks, like you said, calm, cool, collected. He's a confident guy, arrogant. He's not cocky. He's just a calm confidence back there. And he makes the saves that he needs to. And then he, he has those moments in games where he just pulls like a crazy save out of his ass. And, I mean, he'll stop like two or three chances back to back to back to back. And the crowd, well, no crowd in this case, the crowd goes nuts and, and the Blackhawks get some energy. So I love that Corey Crawford is here. I, there's people online saying, this is, this is bad for the Blackhawks. How could you, how could you like, jeopardize this man's health by throwing him into a meaningless playoff series it's you don't think Corey Crawford wants to play like of course Corey Crawford wants to play he he's been through like battle with these guys for what 10 years like of course he's going to want to play with them and and try his best if he can so I'll leave it at we need him to be great I think Corey Crawford can be great I expect him to great be great but we'll have to wait and see I I I mean, what a crazy two weeks. Crazy, crazy two weeks. But we're here, and he's playing, so all's good. Yeah. Uh, Tony, thoughts on Crow's return and the process that it took to get here? Yeah, well, first off, I saw a picture of Corey Crawford in a socks hat the other day, and I have to comment that that's cool and oh. tough. Uh, so I, I love beautiful. that. It's I beautiful. love that. I love that energy. Southside mentality, baby. Yeah, Southside mentality. And that's exactly what Corey is, man. He's a gamer. He, he wants to be there, just like Austin said. He wants to play. Um, and I really, honestly, I, th- I think Corey Crawford is the key to the series for the Blackhawks. If the Hawks are going to win this series for it, it, any stretch of anybody's imagination, it's because Corey Crawford is going to stand on his head for one to two games and, and, and uh, he's going to have to steal it for them. Um, we go back to the, the Edmonton power play. If there's one thing that's going to be able to shut it down, if the defense isn't holding, the, holding, the, holding them off, it's going to be Corey Crawford. He's the last man standing. He's your last line of defense. He's going to be the guy that he's going to be tested. And if he rises to the occasion, 
I, I think the Hawks can steal a game or two here. If he is beaten, I think the Hawks are going to go down pretty easy. Um, it's it's really unpredictable to know what Corey Crawford we're going to get outside of his um, you know exhibition match that we just watched, and he he looked great. Um, you know, we're talking about a guy that just had a positive COVID test. We don't know all of the symptoms that he experienced, if he was asymptomatic. I, I don't know too much details, but you're talking about a disease that we don't even know much about here, guys, right? Like, so is he going to tire easily? Is he going to be winded easily? Uh, is he going to experience, you know, periods of fatigue uh, that he didn't have before? We, we don't know what version of Corey Crawford we're going to get at any given moment. Um, I really think this series rests on his shoulders as much as it rests on uh, the Hawks vets and, and Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane. Here's a guy that has made 87 career playoff appearances. Uh, he's been there. He knows how to handle this situation. Uh, Johnny, you mentioned we're not, we're not really talking about backups and everything uh, here because Corey Crawford is your guy. Uh, the, just hands down is your guy. Uh, they they need him to be great, just like Austin said. If they if they want to have a chance in this thing, and I will stand by this, he is the key to this series for the Hawks. Yeah, for sure, Tony. You're uh, getting ahead of me. I didn't put this in the rundown, but I was going to ask for you guys to list off some keys, and I think we'll be sounding like broken records when we get to that point. But I just had a couple of comments on uh, Corey Crawford here, Austin. You said you were wearing yourself sick over the past couple of weeks. Um, I actually was not. Because um, they kind of, and this is, I guess, the NHL's uh, doing as well. They leave it up to you. Uh, they don't, by not divulging anything, and it's just unfit to participate uh, for all this time. I had a uh, just a gut feeling that he showed up at the regular time that all the other veterans did for phase two, the voluntary workouts. You go, before you can even go in, you have to test. And he tested positive, obviously. So by the time he was there, because the veterans show up later than the younger guys, by the time he was there, got his positive test, has to quarantine for two weeks. That's 14 days, right? So when you're talking about that period of time uh, from like the beginning-ish of August, when the, or excuse me, July, when they could start, um, uh, you know, they're ramping up training camps in like the middle of July, um, came towards the end of that voluntary stuff. Uh, so those are his two weeks and unfortunately it ran into training camp, but then as soon as he was good to go, obviously they threw him right into that scrimmage action. There was no Corey Crawford's on the side rink, just doing this thing with Jimmy Waite right now. It was no, he's right there in the action, threw him right back into it. Um, so I, I kind of expected that the whole time, to be honest with you, that, that's why I had thought, uh, because there was no way that he was missing this thing. Um, you know, as Austin had said, uh, he, he's a warrior. He wants to be out there with these guys. He's been doing it for how many years? So. So, yeah, that was just kind of my gut feeling uh, all along. So uh, I'm glad to see him back. Uh, it was nice to see him back in action, uh, as obviously we said, in the exhibition game. So um, I wasn't really too worried about that. But, guys, um, I think the Blackhawks have a uh, advantage in net here because of the question, as we just said with uh, uh, Koskinen or Smith there. We know who it's going to be for the Blackhawks. He's their rock. Uh, Corey Crawford needs to get it done. Otherwise, they don't have a chance. So um, that being said, uh, as I alluded to a little bit earlier, uh, keys to the series. Uh, like I said, probably going to sound like broken records, but let's air them out. We'll start with Austin, go to Tony, and then back to me before we wrap this thing up with predictions. Austin, go ahead. All right. All, I think I just have two two things that I'm really focused – well, a lot, but two things that I really want to look at, and that's our third line. And I know we talked a little bit about lineups earlier, and we talked about Dominic Kubalik. He, he played a lot of the year on the third line with Doc and Kajula, uh, at least most recently. But then in uh, the other day's matchup against the Blues, he was on that top line, and Debrinkit was down on the third pair. I – I, I don't know how you you keep Dominic Kubalik off of that first line after that performance. I know he his goals came on the power play, but he was generating chances uh, five on five too. So I hope they at least give Very that usual. a look. Yes, yep. But whoever whoever is on that third line, I think they're going to dictate. They're going to have a huge huge impact on the outcome of the series. That Kirby Doc and and especially Drake Kajua. We don't have somebody to really go up against a guy like Zach Cassian. Like Zach Cassian is going to get under their skin. He's going to mess with Taves. 
Case won't back down. He's going to try to mess with Kane. You know, he's going to just kind of be a prick out there, and we need someone not to retaliate, but someone to 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 let him know, hey, we're watching. You you can't get away with everything that you're going to try out here. So I Where think that third line Shaw type, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I yes, of course, and I. How nice would Andrew Shaw be in this series to have him go up against Cassie? And I think that would be excellent TV. I think it'd be great for the Hawks. But I think a guy like Drake Kajula, this is why they brought him in. He, he plays with an edge. He's a small guy, but he he's he doesn't shy away from things. So I think that third line, Kirby Doc. Uh, today, Jeremy Colleton said Kirby Doc is has turned into one of the better d- defensive forwards on the team. So things are looking good for that third line. I think they can outplay Edmonton's third and fourth lines and, and produce some offense and produce some goals. I think the Blackhawks have a really good chance, not just a chance. I think they have a really good chance. Uh, the second yeah. thing I'm looking at is Oli Mata and Slater Cuckoo. So these two guys kind of came out of nowhere. They I think it was one, two, three months before the season paused. They moved Slater Cuckoo to the right side as a left-shot defenseman to pair with Oli Mata, who's a left-handed defenseman. He had never played the right side, but they ended up being the Blackhawks' best pair by far. Maybe they weren't playing against the best uh, competition, but they, they, their numbers backed up their play. At one point, I think during the Blackhawks' five-game winning streak, they were on the ice for 12 goals and, and didn't give up any goals while they were on the ice. So. I think you're going to see Slater Cuckoo step up. I really do. I think he's in a contract year. Uh, his one-year deal runs out this summer. So I think I think you're going to see him step up and play play a big playoff, even if it's a, in a small role. And I, Oli Mata has been in the playoffs before. He's got some experience with the Penguins. Shit ton of times. Oh, yeah. And, and a guy like Connor Murphy, who we think of as the stud defenseman, well, I kind of do. He he has no experience. So I think that third pair defense is going to be going to be huge uh, with matching up against those top two lines. I, I would not be surprised if you see Oli Mata and Slater Cuckoo getting the dry saddle line when it comes down to it. So those are my two keys. Watch out for the third line and the third pair. All right, Tony, keys. I think I said it before, weather the storm. You mentioned broken records. Weather the storm, uh, that power play. Uh, you're going to have to weather it and respond. Um, and like you guys both mentioned, uh, it's how we respond to that and exposing the Edmonton weaknesses. Um, that They're going to have to do that. And then more broken record stuff right here. Corey Crawford, um, key to the series. I said it once already. Um key the series Corey Crawford's gonna have to steal a game or two for the Blackhawks here and those are my two keys Johnny all right so uh mine I, I could you know easily uh, repeat uh, everything you guys said so might as well take those copy paste at the beginning of mine here then I'll add on a couple of my points as well um so we, so we get some different things addressed here um I think Slater Cuckoo but for a different reason staying out of the box he uh, was second in the team on penalty minutes, I believe, uh, behind only Jonathan Taves. So uh, for him, you know, you got to play a disciplined game, no holding, uh, no, no dumb trips, uh, no blatant slashes. Uh, obviously, you got to play your opponent hard, and there are going to be penalties, but you can limit those because the more that they're on it, the more likely they're going to score because the power play is so good. Obviously, best in the league, best in 30, 40 years, whatever Austin said before. So limiting that, playing a disciplined game, that kind of transition. My next one, there's no Brent Seabrook. I know that he probably wouldn't have made a huge difference on the ice, but he would have in the locker room. He would have, remember, everyone remembers him going to talk to Jonathan Taves in that Detroit series in 2013. There's no Brent Seabrook, so who's got to step up as the vocal leader? That's Duncan Keith. Uh, this guy has been, you know, all over social media. He's really excited, hungry to get back uh, to some postseason hockey here. Um, he's got to be that guy, though, because Jonathan Taves, we all know, I'm sure. And we're not inside the locker room. I wish I could be a fly on the wall. We're not, though. I'd imagine, though, that Jonathan Taves keeps his same demeanor. Captain serious, um, you know, doesn't say a whole lot. 
Duncan Keith is not that guy. He will be vocal. He will be in your face. Um, he is for a team that's the youngest now of any team in the playoffs. We saw that chart all over Twitter this week, guys. Um, Duncan Keith is going to be huge from a leadership standpoint. So um, those are my keys. And uh, Adam Boquist, don't get too tight. Just let it flow, man. You play a slippery game. That's what you do. It's what you've been doing since juniors, since you were a kid. You got to keep that up. If you tighten up and you're not contributing anything on the offensive end, uh, you're probably going to, you know, get too much inside your own head and uh, make some miscues on defense that are pretty blatant. So um, those would be my keys beyond everything that you guys mentioned. So um, prediction time, guys. Uh, I'll keep that same order, Austin. Winner in how many games? Good call. Good call on the Brent Seabrook thing. That's huge. That was awesome. Uh, All right. I'm ready to have my heart broken. It's been a long time without sports. Uh, I'm taking the Blackhawks, and I'm taking them in five games. I think all of these things that we've talked about, all of these things that they need to do to win, I think they can do it. Um, I think Jonathan Taves is going to step up. I think Patrick Kane is going to step up. I think guys like Alex DeBrinkett are going to step up. He had an off year. I think he's ready to go. You, you have Kirby Doc. Who, who's a young, cocky guy who's ready to play playoff hockey. Adam Bookfish, you just talked about. I think if he makes he makes one or two good plays, maybe scores a goal, that guy's confidence is going to be through the roof. Crawford's going to stand on his head. I don't, I don't ever bet four against the Blackhawks. Never, because that's just too much conflicting emotions there. But my, my advice to all of you after my prediction of Hawks and five is to take the over. Take the over. Even if it's at six, take the over, take the over, take the over. Hawks in five. Love it. Tony. Uh, I'm also given this series five games where I'm going to take Edmonton. Um, I think you are going to see Corey Crawford steal those one or two games to extend this series out. I think that the the firepower that the Oilers have um, in Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl just is going to be a little bit too much. Um, and, and Johnny, you mentioned a guy that takes a lot of trips to the penalty box in Slater Cuckoo. Um, and, and the Hawks have, have taken their fair share of penalties. Um, I don't know if they're going to be able to weather that storm. Um, I, I see this series as being easily tipped in the Blackhawks' favor if we do everything that we talked about, just like Austin said. But uh, I really think Edmonton probably prevails in this one, unfortunately. Um, that's where I'm at with it, Johnny. Yeah, so we had put out a regular season awards um, article, and we kind of made predictions for the series, um, and I'll kind of air that out um, on on the podcast for our listeners as well. Um, I'd said as much as my heart wants me to predict the Blackhawks to win, my eyes and my brain say Oilers in four. Um, unfortunately, I think the Blackhawks only steal one game um, just due to the overall speed that Edmonton has. I know the structure looked much better against the St. Louis Blues, but man, uh, Edmonton is arguably the fastest team in the league, and Connor McDavid is arguably the fastest player of all time. It's ridiculous. So um, I just think that's a little too much to overcome. And, and there will be some shootouts, some barn burners. I think it's going to be, you know, as Austin said, bet the over. Yeah, I think you're going to get a 5-6 game. I think you're going to get a 3-4 game. I think you're going to get maybe a 7-5 game. Um, but it, it's, uh, it, to me, it's Edmonton uh, with the speed, with the offense, with the power play, special teams are getting it done. Um, I have them in four games. Blackhawks win game two. It'll be the Patrick Kane show. Blackhawks will win like five to three or something like that. Um, but after that, probably a couple more close games down the wire. And then um, that's it. And we're taking our 12.5% chance at the uh, number one overall <laughs> pick. So uh, there we go. That's just my prediction, though. I didn't even know what the thing is when I say that, and I think I speak for Tony here. We hope we're totally wrong. We hope yes. the only person that's right on the show is Austin. We hope that the Blackhawks win, and they hope they fucking do it in three. That'd be great if they just came out and put a stomping on them, uh, and they were the more ready team, more prepared team. But uh, it's just realistic. Uh, like I said, uh, my heart says one thing. My eyes and my brain say another thing. I can't get over how many times I was at a lot of games uh, just watching the scoring chances, the shots pile up, and then the goals on some nights, even to a team like the New Jersey Devils. Uh, if anyone remembers that, December 23rd, <laughs> day before Christmas Eve. I, I was there. Only highlight of that game was the uh, 
John Hayden, uh, Dennis Gilbert fight. Uh, that was it. I could see something like that getting out of hand. Uh, although, um, you know, I think in playoff time, it probably will be a little closer, but I've just seen it fly off the handle too many times. Um, and I think it will uh, with all the skill that Edmonton has. So um, that about wraps it up here. Uh, I think Austin uh, was disgusted by my pick. Uh, he decided to jump off here, Tony. So um, before we close <laughs> it down, um, make sure you're going to ontapsportsnet.com for all your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. Four Feathers Podcast is the official Blackhawks coverage unit for ONTAP Sportsnet. You like Cheers. other sports? We've got uh, Cubs. We've got White Sox. All of that covered over there on tapsportsnet.com with baseball season going on right now as well. Um, you know, if you enjoy this podcast, we'd really appreciate if you go and give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, um, wherever it may be. Uh, we would really appreciate it. Um, and then follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Four Feathers Pod at uh, both places. And then our um, you know parent account at ONTAP Sportsnet, both places as well, Twitter and Instagram. And uh, ONTAP Sportsnet's on Facebook too, facebook.com backslash ONTAP Sportsnet. So uh, we'll send you out with the schedule. Um, game one, Saturday, August 1st, 2 p.m. Central Time on NBC. Game two, Monday, August 3rd, late night hockey tone, 9.30 p.m. Central Time start. That'll be on NBC Sports Chicago locally, NBC Sports Network nationally. Um, same TV setup for Game 3, which will take place on Wednesday, August 5th, 9.30 p.m. Central Time start again. Um, Friday, August 7th would be a Game 4 if necessary. Uh, all those times TV broadcast to be determined. Same with Game 5 if it's necessary. That would be a back-to-back then, Saturday, August 8th, um, once again, if necessary. So, Tony, that does it. You got any final thoughts before we send it out? Johnny, it's great to be back on the mic talking hockey. Um, I'm hoping that we get to do quite a few game recaps during this series. Hopefully, uh, we're talking about Blackhawks winners. I know you and I had both predicted the Hawks would fall to Edmonton uh, in four or five games. Um, I'd love to break down five Blackhawks games, um, but uh, I I hope we're happy humans after all of them, as Eddie O would like to say. Um, That being said, I'll take three in uh three in the winning form um if we if we get them uh that would mean we get to do more next round uh obviously uh this is going to be a tough series for the blackhawks let's see how they come out let's see how they respond let's go hawks yep that's about all i've got as well tony um hey just go out and play with heart um i, I want to see that duncan keith led team i know jonathan taze is a captain as i had mentioned talking about a vocal leader that's number two. So that's it. That does it for our Edmonton, Chicago qualifying round preview episode of Four Feathers Podcast. Once again, let's go Hawks. Let's go Hawks.